The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today to talk about day two of the January 6th Select Committee hearings is former federal prosecutor Renato Moriarty. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Zerlina. So, okay, we talked to Barbara McQuaid after the first hearing last uh, Thursday night, um, and she told me. Um, that we are talking about two crimes, which were USC 1512 and USC 371. Um, and y- after yesterday, um, I think there's a new crime. So my first question, uh, are we talking about three potential crimes? Like, is that sort of as you see through the first two hearings, the committee laying out the case and sort of setting up the mens rea, if you will, for each of these three separate crimes? I do think that the committee is trying to prove up. I think that's fair to say, Zerlina, at least three crimes. But I do agree with I do agree with uh, Barb McQuaid, uh, in, which is not surprising. We often agree. Okay? She's a very <laughs> smart, very smart person. Uh, I do agree that the two that she mentioned um, are the two most likely charges in a case like this. Uh, because they allow you to have a kind of a narrowly focused indictment. But one thing I will say, Zerlina, is that, you know, the what we saw in this last hearing was a real focus by the committee in proving that Trump knew that he lost, right? That Trump, um, you know, you know, had, you know, the, the big lie was actually a lie. It wasn't just an inadvertent false statement. Uh, and that's because he was told by his own staff, his own attorneys and so on, that he had lost fair and square, that the election fraud um, uh, claims were BS, uh, to, to quote uh, Bill Barr. And that's important because if, for example, he was just, you know, uh, he really believed that everything that he was doing was true, was true, everything he was saying was true, he wouldn't necessarily have the right mental state uh for to commit the the couple of crimes that barbara mentioned in the prior program so in terms of the intent piece you mentioned the fact that he knew it was a lie and there's been a lot of sort of like analysis and debate over whether or not donald trump really believed he won or whether or not he knew he lost but is claiming he won um you know to benefit him and to stay in power does it matter it does matter from a legal perspective. So, for example, the 371 you mentioned uh, a moment ago, that is defrauding the United States. It's a charge that Robert Mueller charged. Uh, it's a charge that we've seen um, certain of the, um, the um, insurrectionists charged with. And essentially, it means that you are trying to defeat the lawful functions of the United States 
by um, corrupt means, like you're trying to do dishonest means. Well, you can't defraud somebody if you're actually honest. Like if you're completely earnest in telling people that, you know, actually these moon rocks that I'm selling you are really super valuable or whatever, um, you know, then it's not a fraud. What makes it a fraud is, you know, fraud typically is right when you're just trying to trick people to get money out of them. Well, it's not a trick if you really believe it. And so similarly here, if you're actually trying to uh, honestly deal with the United States government, then it's not a fraud. So it's actually, it's actually very important for that charge in particular to prove dishonesty. Um, and then similarly for the other charge you mentioned, that's obstructing official, official proceeding. Another thing that if, you would, if any of the listeners have been paying attention to these insurrectionist charges, uh, criminal cases, that's been a very popular charge. Mm-hmm. Well, if you obstruct a criminal proceeding in an honest way, like, for example, you think, you know, uh, for example, if, if Gene Goodman is running in the, the, the heroic Capitol Police officer, if he runs in and stops a Senate hearing because he says, oh, my God, get to safety, everyone, atta- we're under attack. Well, he's obstructing the proceeding in an honest way, corrupt, doing it, obstructing a proceeding in a corrupt way is actually the corrupt part of it is actually a required element of that statute. So that I I think proving that Trump was actually doing this in a dishonest and corrupt way is really important. And that's why the committee spent all day doing it. They weren't wasting their time or wasting our time. That's why they they took they took uh, so much time in proving that up. So in terms of the third crime, I wasn't expecting this development, but it feels like they were also trying to prove up financial fraud is that what they were doing or were they simply sort of establishing fraud you know in the in the broader sense to establish the intent for the other two crimes or could you say based on what they did yesterday you know there's this whole new you know pathway for prosecution just based on the fundraising off of a trump legal defense fund that didn't exist you know, Zerlina, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad that you focused in on that. That that really took me by surprise too, when I heard it. I didn't see that coming, and I kind of think of it in a couple different ways. Okay, first of all, this committee's got different purposes, right? This is not um, a, a group of criminal prosecutors. They are not. We are not the grand jury, although in some sense we are. Right? We're we're here on the program discussing what our potential charges might be. We're acting in many ways like that, but but that's not their whole pu- purpose, right? Part of their purpose is to inform the public and to try to persuade people. And I think part of what they were doing, and I thought it was very powerful and very uh, savvy on their part, was to try to convince lots of people who supported Trump that, you know, this is, this, this is you know, a really dishonest person who's actually trying to cheat all of you too, and by the way, I think that was actually quite effective. I mean, I think, you know, there were some Republicans saying this was like a DeSantis ad in their mind. Um, mm-hmm. There were, uh, there's a lot of uh, online chatter amongst Republicans about, you know, all, a lot of the money stuff. Well, you know, why was, why was Kimberly Gilfoyle getting 60 grand for mm-hmm. a two minute speech? That sort of thing. I, you know, part of what the committee wants to do is make sure that Donald Trump is never in a position of power again. And so I think that I'm, I think that that was part of what that was aimed towards. However, I agree with you that there is potentially a financial crimes component there. So in other words, 
you know, it, I mentioned a minute ago that fraud is when you trick people to get their money. And I prosecuted when I was a federal prosecutor, prosecuted lots and lots of fraud cases. It's a common charge. Well, you know, if you are lying to people to get their money, then that's a problem. Now, the issue here, I suppose, is, you know, is it you, the lie has to be material? So the, I guess the question is, are the Trumpsters that are that are donating, you know, seventeen dollars on average to Trump? Do they care whether or not there's a separate fund set up, for example, or not, or where exactly their money's going, or do they just understand that they're supporting Trump and they're happy to give seventeen dollars to Trump? I don't know. Um, that would require, you know, evidence that I don't have. One thing I will say is that a lot of times these election, you know, fraud cases are difficult can be difficult to make because the victims actually are not cooperative right they want to they want to be giving money to the person i think i i it's possible that that's one route that the, the justice department could go um but i think a lot of these more narrowly focused crimes regarding let's say pressuring pence to stop the um stop the uh the proceedings on january 6th or, for example, the letter that we heard about on day one regarding uh, the, you know, that was that was being prepared to send to Georgia officials about a different slate of electors, like th that might be a more um, a more a more probable charge to come out of this. It's so fascinating to to sort of watch this unfold and and see so much new. Even though I really went in not thinking that they were going to, you know, tell us anything that I didn't know. And I'm I'm learning a lot that I didn't know. Uh, I did not know that there was a Trump de election defense fund in there, you know, that they were sort of <laughs> fundraising off of. And I did not know that Kimberly Guilfoyle got $60,000, $400 a second for her speech on January the 6th. Um, I did not know that. Um, that is all new. Um, one of the other questions I have in this particular moment is how these hearings sort of work together. So last week, we sort of got a preview of a lot of different pieces. Tomorrow, we're going to learn more about what happened at the DOJ. We got a little bit of a preview, but we, most of what we saw last Thursday had to do with the Proud Boys and the extremist groups. And one of the big pieces of evidence that I didn't know before the hearings, and now we know, is the Proud Boys started marching towards the Capitol at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys had met the night before. They had stashed weapons all around Virginia in advance in case Trump invoked the Insurrection Act, all of this new information. How do you look at um, what we learned yesterday and drawing that line towards what we learned last week? And what I mean is, how do you think the committee is working to draw the line from Trump knowing the big lie is a lie but amplifying it anyway, fundraising and how that vehicle sort of was the mechanism through which the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, because I'm assuming all those weapons and travel and hotels, it's not free. So, I mean, how, how do you think they're, they're sort of setting it up to draw that line between the extremist groups and the violence and Trump knowing the big lies false, amplifying it anyway? Because I feel like they, they do have to draw mm -hmm. that line. Maybe they have started or, or maybe they're going to, but I, I'm curious how you see the, them trying to do that. Wow. By the way, these are great questions, Erlita. I, Thank I've you. Been, <laughs> I have been on television and radio since this, these hearings. You asked so many questions. These are some of the smartest questions that I've been asked. So 
I guess what I would say is that you're right that there's a big a big question mark that was left after the first day of the hearings was uh, kind of what's the connection between all of these uh, insurrectionists attacking the Capitol and Trump and his crew and what they were doing, right? And the, the reason why I say what's the connection is because the committee laid it out as like a seven part scheme. They portray it all as one big scheme. I think legally, you, if, if I was going to write an indictment based on what we know today, which obviously is less than the committee knows because they've got many hearings scheduled and I haven't, you and I haven't watched them yet because they haven't happened yet. But based on what we have so far, I'd almost consider there to be kind of a couple of different separate things going on, right? We have some of these more narrowly focused crimes that we've talked about, right? Like pressuring Pence, uh, right? You know, this whole letter campaign to Georgia, maybe pressuring the Georgia mm. Secretary of State. Those are kind of happening off to the side, right? And then there's this whole uh, violent attack. And the violent attack actually doesn't really depend on, the, 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 any, a crime there doesn't depend necessarily on whether you thought the, the election was stolen or not, mm. or whether you thought there was election fraud. Because regardless of whether you thought there was fraud, like attacking, violently attacking the Capitol um, is not an appropriate uh, response to that regardless, okay? Where, you know, even if you thought that your fraud claims were unfairly tossed out of court, um, the, taking up arms and attacking the Capitol is not the appropriate response. So if you could tie Trump to that very, very closely, then that sidesteps the whole issue that we were focused on in the first hearing. The issue is we have not heard yet what that evidence would be. In other words, if Trump was like on signal or text, like, you know, communicating with Giuliani and, uh, you know, Bannon and others who are coordinating with the Proud Boys, well, that would be a very straightforward conspiracy that I think most people could get their heads around. Like, I don't think the, the folks listening now would need a, a, a legal explanation that, you know, coordinating with the people, bat, you know, breaking down the windows and threatening the people in Congress and threatening to kill them. That's a problem. That's like a very significant legal problem. The issue is just we have not heard that connection yet. Right. And so I think we, one thing I will say, too, is we we didn't get any kind of preview of it on day one, which makes me think, you know, that is definitely a missing piece. In other words, Trump was tweeting um, and these 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 insurrections were inspired by his tweets that he was, you know, ref, you know, encouraging them. He wasn't discouraging them. He was calling them peaceful while they were like attacking everyone. But the, I think I think it's an open question whether there's enough there to charge him with being criminally responsible for their conduct. I mean, to me, that's there's a reason why Barb on the last program was talking to you about the statutes that she was, because those are more focused on the conduct that is central to Trump versus conduct that he is morally responsible for, but it's unclear whether he had a hands-on role in coordinating or, or promoting. Yeah, like I went into the first hearings thinking, because a lot of people were sort of like, well, you're going to have to sort of draw that line between Trump and the violence. And when after the first hearings, when I was talking to Barbara, I was like, oh, they don't have to tie him to like breaking the window. You know, they don't have to say like he incited this proud boy to break the window. They have to they have to show that, you know, whether it was the conduit of Roger Stone or someone else, you know, that his intention was to stay president 
and to delay the certification, sort of proving out that more narrow piece about um, delaying an official proceeding. And I was like, oh, it was a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> I, I I did think it was going to be kind of hard to like prove that he incited someone to break a window. I feel like in, you know, we have so many um you know, I think either cultural but also legal precedent that, you know, draws really firm lines on, you know, what we like even even in terms of um, a duty to intervene or um, the idea of what somebody should do to help in a situation or um, how much culpability they could get for someone else's behavior, whether they incited it or not. Like that's a that's like more nuanced legal question than did he want to stay president and did he organize a group of thugs to march to the Capitol to delay the process? Right. I mean, like that's that's a whole new universe of of questions versus did he incite someone to break a window? That's a really smart insight. OK, so that's another good insight on your part. So a couple of things. So first, you're absolutely right that, you know, to hold him responsible for what they were doing, like you said, breaking the window, attacking people, all that stuff, well, assaulting those officers. Well, there you have to prove either that that he, Trump, knew about the criminal activity and was was concretely helping to, to make that succeed in some way. Okay, that would be, let's say, like aiding and abetting or conspiracy or whatever. Or you would have to prove that, you know, there, there is a, a line of, uh, there is a statute and a type of crime called incitement where you could you through your words incite people to commit violence, but that is very narrowly construed under our under our laws because the First Amendment generally protects speech and particularly political speech by the mm -hmm. president of the United States. That's going to be very unlikely that I think courts, particularly the current Supreme Court, is going to allow that to go forward. So I think those are I think your your intuition is completely right that those are harder to to do. Like I said, the evidence could be there as to the former, right? If he's like, if he actually was like on, you know, was texting with with uh, Giuliani, telling you know, and coordinating people. But I don't, we don't even see that evidence, and so that's why I think Barb last time and I'm today, and we're talking mostly about stuff that's focused on what he did and and mm -hmm. a lot of and the things he did are really important and so you know this whole campaign to pressure pence for example now there are issues there are there are legal issues for the committee to overcome right because he was being told by a crooked lawyer that this is a great idea um john eastman so you know and i think we'll hear more about that in subsequent uh hearings so i do think that the committee knows that there's a lot that they have to overcome there but the reason the committee was so focused on proving knowledge and, and, and setting all of that up is because they want to show that, you know, a scheme, for example, to get Mike Pence to not count certain electors might be not, not a corrupt way of, 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 of derailing the proceedings if, in fact, you thought that the election had been stolen and there was all this fraud and that actually it was to illegal to certify alternative sets of electors. And so they were really trying to establish that Trump was um, dishonest and was trying to do something dishonest and had sort of conceived to do that from the start as a way of proving that case. It's so fascinating <laughs> to see this unfold because I, I feel like the word unprecedented is obviously overused in this moment but it just feels like 
the president was doing the most um <laughs> um mm-hmm. leading into um and after the insurrect uh, after the election leading into the insurrection my last question is about rudy giuliani because you know i i didn't have um drunk Rudy Giuliani on my bingo card. Like, I didn't have that um, <laughs> down. I knew that he was doing the most. He was definitely dialing the wrong numbers for people, you know, calling um, one senator, thinking they were Tommy Tuberville, um, uh, and leaving a voicemail on election night. So we knew that there was something going on with Rudy. <laughs> or on, I think it was an insurrection day, actually, um, when he call, called the wrong senator. But So we knew there was something going on with Rudy. But how does Rudy factor in? Like, is there any liability? Or, or is it just like he's just doing lawyering and now he can't anymore because his license is, is uh, revoked or suspended, rather. Um, but how does how does Rudy sort of factor in here as sort of that voice on election night telling Trump, well, just say it was rigged, you know, drunk in the corner. And then Trump goes with that. Like, it, do we have to actually believe that Trump believed that Rudy, like, was not drunk and really giving him good legal advice? Yeah, well, great question. So first of all, um, the, Giuliani and other, I would say, crooked lawyers like John Eastman and others, okay, that we that were giving Trump bad advice enablers uh, trying to get, egg him on to do um, you know anti-democratic things they in some ways have a heightened potential liability because they should know better in other words one thing I mentioned a minute ago is that it is is a problem for the committee to try to overcome is that Trump was being advised by lawyers to do this stuff well the lawyers should know better and Giuliani well we kind of we can laugh at him he's you know he's drunk and so on. I've certainly I've been on TV sets with him where he seemed like he was uh, in another universe. Um, he is he is nonetheless a former federal prosecutor, and you know he wasn't just a former federal prosecutor. He was the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York for a number of years. He was obviously you know the uh, you know the mayor of New York and a very celebrated attorney and had a significant legal career, and so. He's perfectly aware of what the laws are. And so I think um, a, a jury would take more seriously um, his state of mind. Now, obviously, the fact that he was, as I think Liz Cheney said, apparently inebriated, or whatever, <laughs> I think that's how she put it, in an understated way, is going gonna, is gonna to be an issue as well. But I do think he, he bears responsibility. And I think the question is just going to be, what, what what was he doing and what was he involved in? And it seemed like, from based on the testimony we've heard so far, that he was in the thick of everything nefarious here, such that, you know, I think that that's a, a significant problem for him. And that very well may be why, you know, we have not heard a lot from, of, of Cliff and Rudy Giuliani. In other words, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he did apparently testify, although I would have probably advised him not to, um, but he did testify, and my guess is he didn't say much that was of any use um, because, you know, we haven't heard, at least we haven't heard a lot of clips from him yet. We'll see. Um, but I think he's somebody, he, you know, folks like him and Eastman should be very concerned about their potential liability. So now we only have one more minute, um, and tomorrow we're going to learn more about what happened at the DOJ. Is that sort of the, like, nonviolent coup part of the coup? Yeah, I think in some ways that's that's much cleaner. 
and easier for DOJ to prosecute. Like if I, if I was, if Merrick Garland, you know, hired me to, and said, okay, you, you got to figure this out. Um, what I would say is let's try to find something really narrow, like a lie that Trump tried to tell the United States government and try to keep this very narrow. Cause that's the sort of thing that we, we charge at DOJ, we charge all the time is people making false statements to the government. Okay. Mm. So it's very easy. It's very straightforward. It's not complicated. You don't want a sprawling case that requires you to prove a ton of different things. You want to just get, get in and get out and prove something very, that's very straightforward. And that could be the, the, the type of conduct that does that. So to me, in many ways, um, that may be a more probable charge than all of this really wide ranging attack on the Capitol stuff that obviously is important, but maybe more complicated to prove. This is fascinating. Well, we'll have to see. Merrick Garland did say he is watching. <laughs> he came outside Indeed. yesterday and said in front of a camera he is watching. And so are the prosecutors at the DOJ. So we'll see what they, they come up with. Renata Mariotti, thank you very much for um, your analysis. It was really helpful. I, I mean, I'm proud of my questions, too, um, because I, I think about I th- all I do all day is think. So I, I come up with like all kinds of <laughs> ways to ask questions. And I appreciate um, your analysis today. It was really helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlinette Check-In for new episodes every weekday.